0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Spirituality and Magic Podcast. You know, I've always had this very Vedantic idea that all the different spiritual paths and religions will lead to the source of all things. Whatever you want to call that source, or not call it. You know, I've had people ask me, what about uh, Satanism? What about uh, traditions like that? And... I think my, my answer is, you know, it's not necessarily a path that you follow, it's how you follow it. Also, because spirituality and religion initiated on a personal level is what forms how we interact with the world. One measuring scale is not necessarily more valuable than another. And even if somebody is following something that I would consider an unskillful path, I think that even an unskillful path, when followed long enough, will reach the same source. It might take longer, or perhaps the path itself, someone will be informed by their soul eventually that, okay, what I'm doing is not working. By the way, that can be true of any path. We simply have to listen to our soul And figure out which path is best for us as an individual. What is part of our mission? Uh, What is part of the way we're supposed to walk in this world? Now, someone can be the most devout and charitable person. But if they're following a path that doesn't fit them as an individual or is just not right for them, they'll still uncover it eventually. And whether it be charity or greed... They both lead back to the source, but I do think that some take longer because some uh, especially materialist ideologies um, they serve the purpose of slowly allowing one to see how wrong they are, which is is still a part of the grander experience of life and the directions that we go i think I think Hinduism always caught my eye because. There's an acknowledgement of this truth that other religions aren't necessarily wrong. Um, They can be, they're right and just in a different way. That whether I worship this God or that God or these gods or those gods, they are all mirrors in a way of that which exists within and also beyond. But all of these terms ultimately are one. It's very Vedantic of me, you know. I guess you can say a sect of Hinduism. Everything is one and everything is part of the source. So the reason why I collaborate with so many different people, the reason why I reach out to so many different people, regardless of their path, regardless of their political orientation, uh, their gender orientation, their um, really anything orientation, is because building bridges allows people to walk more easily, on their path when people, other people understand them. Um, when you have many people working on bridges, then people are working together. If we build bridges in other people's paths, as well as our own, then we'll all get to the source more quickly, which is the ultimate goal in my opinion. I might worship Kali do, and Odin. Another person might be um, someone who was uh, a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Zoroastrian um, devotee or a Sikh or a pagan or an animist. I wouldn't say that all of these, even if they claim that they conflict with one another, looking from the outside in, I don't think that all these traditions necessarily have to conflict. No matter what certain elements of different books, religious books, translated over the years, um, seem to lay out that they are at odds. If somebody is at odds with another person, it's usually not because of what a book says. It's usually because they want to be at odds with another person. We are geniuses, human beings, at justifying or, or... just trying, to, um, just trying to make our decisions more plausible to ourselves. Not only to other people, but ourselves. We're geniuses at doing that and finding differences because of either our fear of what is different or our sureness and pride in our own path. We all work with, we all have a certain level of pride, most of us, the vast majority, in our own path. I certainly do. But I try to fight that, and I don't think that that is a good quality within myself. So it's very important to step back from saying that your path is supreme, and uh, this is the one true God, or the one true way, the one true avatar, the one true Messiah, or the way to wait for a Messiah and obey the laws of God, commandments of God, until the Messiah comes, what have you, or um, a follow for followers of, um, a dark eternal father like Satan. And I've heard the term dark eternal father quite a bit. The symbol nowadays and uh, in the past to some extent is a double cross that is turned upside down with an infinity symbol at the bottom. And you might say, okay, is that that, is that symbol correct? Is what it implies correct? And you know, it implies that, um, uh, the path that one is following is infinite and nothing can really stop it. Um, That it is is the true form of ego in reality or ego in reality and the glorification of it, and then that makes us immortal because we can reach immortality. Now, while I don't use the symbol myself, I can try to understand it from a Satanist point of view. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like to look at people's paths and their symbols from their own point of view, not from my own. Because if I'm looking at it from my own point of view, then how can I learn anything? I want to learn what other people have learned, even if I don't embrace it. That's my commitment to knowledge. That's my commitment to hashing out how certain people, how different people are right in their own way. Um... I've always been a huge fan of the cross, the regular cross. But every time I look at a cross, and I have crosses around my room, uh, along with a lot of other statues and symbols that might make, make me seem very out of touch with, with a singular reality. But when I look at a cross, um, I look at it esoterically. I think of a three-dimensional cross where time, space, and consciousness meet at a single moment and in a single individual. That's what I think of. And of course, I think of sacrifice because, you know, the cross itself is, is a symbol of sacrifice for Christ. And uh, I have no problem with Christ. Never have had one. Uh, I think that a lot of what he said has been misconstrued over the years for sure. Uh, but that's what I think of when I look at a cross. Sacrifice and time, space, and consciousness meeting in a moment in a person. Which... Means that reality itself is just a sequence of crosses, part of a much larger cross in a way. I really love the Ohm symbol. Um, it's basically what looks like the number 30 with a little uh, capital A at the top between the 3 and the O. And it's pronounced Ohm A U M. And that, that's, that, there's a reason why that symbol and, you know, that, that sound is between pieces of a mantra, between uh, either words or a set of words and a mantra, because it harkens back to creation and the fabric of reality, and the fabric of reality is an extension of the source. I love the symbol, I love the OM symbol, that's why I tattooed it on myself. So, if I believe in a source, how can I believe in multiple gods? Well, both things can be true. I think of gods as being just very, much larger parts of the source, ones that are much closer to their own souls and are far more developed. Does that mean I think they're ultimately always going to be better than us? No. No. But I think that they they exist. And there's some gods that are vaster than other gods. Kalima and Shiva are very vast. Vishnu is very vast. Brahma, to a certain extent, is vast. Um, and when I think of Odin and Thor and Flaher and Fleja, um I think of gods that are very much in tune with and in connection to the material realms, but who manifest and encourage us to manifest um, very, very profound and wonderful um, realities in creation, starting with uh, ourself and beyond. And of course, gods are beyond what we would consider creation materially. And, you know, they're kind of a different dimension, but also have ties to this dimension. And that's kind of what I do as a shaman is reaching out and connecting to these gods. And, you know, you might ask, okay, well, uh, that makes sense, or maybe it doesn't make sense to you, depending But what about, why do you try to contact the dead? Why do you work with the dead? What's the point of it? Shouldn't you just work with gods or talk to, look at, read teachings or talk to masters that are alive? And uh, Paramahansa Yogananda once said that uh, "There's there's nobody that is dead that knows anything more than those who are alive. And that is true. I do believe that's true. But for some reason, my soul has... Always been interested in contacting the dead, communicating with them, making it easier for them to communicate with this realm, and wanting to me to relay their message. And I, I love getting close to the dead. I love serving the dead. I love honoring the dead. And not enough people do it. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of what I try to do as a spiritualist and somebody that's a podcaster or any, you know, a YouTuber for many more years, just started podcasting, is show people how they can honor the dead why it matters and show that there are people out there who do it. That the dead are not alone. There are some people like there are many people like me. Not not a very large percentage of humanity, but we're out there. And perhaps maybe everyone else should honor the dead a little bit more and try to communicate with them a little bit more to resolve some internal issues um that they have within themselves. And to resolve issues for these these egos that got attached to this world and quite couldn't quite move on. Because, you know, when we have soul fragmentation, it's the spirit, which is a life force, or a prana, a return to the earth. Um, the, the soul moves on. It cannot be contained. It must keep on experiencing it. The soul does not become a ghost. But the ego can if it's so attached to this realm. So the point of soul, f- we, we want to minimize soul fragmentation by the ego accepting to move on. Uh, and dissipate in a way, um, allowing the spirit to uh, not remain too long in any form, maybe even as part of the ego if it becomes a ghost, depending on what you believe, um, allowing the spirit to move on and dissipate, and accepting that our soul is going to move on, and just laying aside this life that we've been living. Very hard to do, but that is something that working with the dead, you can help them resolve. You can help these egos, these spirits, the, these egos that are maybe uh holding on to a little bit of spirit too to help them manifest uh to move on to dissipate and to bring that kind of order um to those to those people who have been fragmented upon death uh who have really chosen fragmentation but we we can't judge them for it so i i do the best i can on an individual level to resolve all these things for um uh for those who have passed and in conjunction with those who are living and encourage people to help this, um, macro resolution of everything, uh, but ultimately I do think everything is a part of the one source, and, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of different magic, it's working with the potentiality of reality, in a way, working with, um, the fabric Ohm creates, the canvas, working for the, can- with the canvas itself, um, I do a lot of things that don't seem to have the same nature within one, within each other, but they actually do. And I would encourage everybody to really consider this fully. Um, I'd like to recommend, recommend, it's going to take me a second because I actually have tendonitis today, which means my tendon in my left leg swells up and it makes it really hard to walk. Um, There's some books I'm just going to randomly recommend because they're books that I haven't read fully or gotten into, but uh, I think you might find interesting. Voices of Our Ancestors, um, Cherokee Teachings from the Wisdom Fire by D-H-Y-A-N-I-Y-W-A-H-O-O. I'm not going to pronounce it because I think when I pronounce it wrong, it's not going to help you at all. But it's Voices of Our Ancestors, Cherokee Teachings from the Wisdom Fire. Now, what I'm going to do is a little bit of bibliomancy. I'm going to randomly open to a page and read a bit and uh, see if, um, if uh, that will help you. So uh, I randomly open to page 183, the bottom of the right page. Uh, well, it's 183. Uh, in these times, many adults, in seeking understanding, put aside the wisdom of their family, of, or- uh, of origins, religious belief systems. The result may be that parents and relatives feel set aside and not respected. The wise practitioner considers that yesterday's experience brings today's understanding and cultivates like mind rather than a sectarian view, uh, perceiving the common factors of belief systems. The clan totem symbolizes the strength and subtle characteristics of a clan. Bird clan members express spaciousness of mind and light nature. And then he goes on to describe others. It's a little bit of bibliomancy. And uh, let's do it with a couple other books. Why not? You know? Let's see, okay, Working Conjure. Let's see, I'm gonna pull this out real quick. So it's called Working Conjure, A Guide to Hoodoo Folk Magic. And it's by Hoodoo Sen Moise, S-E-N-M-O-I-S-E. To another random page, okay. Okay, this seems like to be describing a particular ritual, but I'll read some of the first paragraph that I came to on one, page 132. When the jar is full and all the roots are in it, go ahead and close the lid. Then you are going to shake the jar, continue to make your prayers and petitions over it. Each day for 14 days, you are going to shake the jar and burn a candle on top of it. Once the 14-day period is over, you will have a batch of fast luck oil. If I say to so myself, is quite potent. If you would like to make it extra potent, you could take you could take it to a crossroads or a casino and bury it there for three days after it is finished. Rem- remember the dirt's whole power, you can absolutely use it to increase and you can abso- absolutely use it to increase the potency of your own work. An interesting point in that book that I haven't reached quite yet. Uh we're on a roll here, so let's go ahead and, and go to um, another book. This book I actually haven't read any of. It's called uh The Buddha's Words. An anthology of discourses from the Pali Canon, P A L I Canon, and it is by B H I. Wait, hold on a second. Okay, the forward is by um, the Dalai Lama, edited and introduced by B H I K K H U B O D H I. Once again, in the Buddha's words, and at the top it says, "In the the teachings of the Buddha." Now, let's see if I can do some random bibliomancy here. Okay. Um, Let's see. The next section, okay, this is page 151. The next section deals with the merit, Puna, wholesome, comma, capable of, of yielding favorable results within the cycles of rebirth. Merit produces mundane benefits such as good birth, rebirth, wealth, beauty, and success. It also serves as an enhancing condition for supramundane benefits, that is, for attaining the stages along the path to enlightenment. Hence, as seen in text v one, the Buddha urges his disciples to cultivate merit, referring to his own cultivation of merit over many previous lives, as an example. Interesting. Let's go ahead and do one more, because I think some people enjoyed this, told me about it. Um, all right. Okay, we're going to uh, the book Neolithic Shamanism by Raven Caldera and Galina Kroskova. Um, and it says Neolithic Shamanism, and then, you know, below the title it says Spirit Work in the Norse Tradition. All right, so on page 48... And second paragraph, I actually learned how to enter a trance during my training as a priest. To lead a good ritual or meditation, it's important to know how to enter a light trance in order to follow what's happening to the energy of the people with whom you're working. Going into a trance is a way of moving inward in order to move outward. It's a method by which the spirit worker can banish all external distractions in order to better approach the work that must be done. It's also a prerequisite to traveling the other worlds. Learning to enter a trance is a way of learning to make of your own mind and will a vehicle of transportation out of purely mundane consciousness, out of Midgard into the realms of spirit. Interesting, interesting stuff there. Once again, that's Neolithic shamanism. At any rate, uh, I just kind of want to throw some uh, random traditions in there to, uh, to add uh, maybe some sources to what you might want to look up and to show a little bit of what I got, uh, what books I got. If you have any um, book recommendations like, or like ones that you want me to recommend to you or ones you want to re- recommend to me, feel free to uh, find me on Facebook and message me or, or friend me um, at www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. Once again, www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. At any rate, let's go ahead and take a break for a word from our sponsors. All right, everyone, welcome back. Now, uh, I'd like to briefly talk about Paramansa Yokananda and how, you know, he taught me through his works and through Swami Kriyananda. I've never actually talked to either one of them, but through their through uh, Kriyananda's works that were based on what Yokananda said, uh, Kriyananda is a disciple of Paramansa Yokananda. And if you want to look up... Uh, Yogananda. Just spell out, spell out Yoga Nanda, which means joy in yoga or joy in the path. Um, and Kriyananda is um, K R I Y A, Ananda, A N D A, N <laughs> A, N D A. Sorry, I had to think of exactly how it's spelled. But uh, Yokananda and Kriyananda, that's where I got a lot of what I believe and they, that's really the foundation of my path. Paramahansa Yokananda in the um, early 1900s brought Kriya Yoga to the United States and really brought Hinduism in a lot of ways to the United States. He, um, he, had, he started the foundation, the, the Self-Realization Fellowship in Ancinitas, California – Self-Realization Fellowship, I have some books by them, but I actually think that Kriyananda has, he kind of split off away from them, and has, you know, I think the best recounting of what Yokananda believed and said, in my opinion. Now, Paramahansa Yokananda, he is along the line of gurus, this is going to be interesting because um, there's two gurus in this that you wouldn't expect to be there, so, from Yokananda on, Yokananda, Yogananda, uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar... Lahiri uh, Moshai Babaji, one word, and uh, Christ Jesus Christ, and Krishna. so Christ is actually in the line of gurus that Yokananda is you know at the end of um, and he he very much talks about Christ's true teachings and what Christ was actually said and not just like it was diluted in the Bible or certain parts was taken out. Um, and he also, he also, well, Kriyananda wrote it, but he, it was as remembered by Kriyananda and based off of uh, Yogananda's teachings. He also did his own commentary of the Bhagavad Gita, and uh, that is the essence of the, of the Bhagavad Gita, by Paramahansa Yogananda as remembered by his disciple Swami Kriyananda. Once again, the essence of the Bhagavad Gita. Think of Yogananda and Kriyananda in order to find that. That is the best form of the Bhagavad Gita I've ever found. I've listened to an audiobook multiple times, read most of it. And if you're looking for an interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita that is really just solid uh, from the ground up, look for that. Now... um, there's some other books that Yogananda uh, wrote. Uh, well, this is a book of his essays, uh, Man's Eternal Quest by Paramahansa Yogananda. And then that Christ book I was talking about is Revelations of Christ, proclaimed by Paramahansa Yogananda, presented by his disciple, Swami Kriyananda. Once again, Revelations of Christ. So that's the, the, the Christian book I was talking about. Um, well, <laughs> I guess you could say the true Christian, Christian book, if I may be so bold. And then uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yokananda. that book will really open your mind as far as to what's available to yogic practitioners once they get far along their path. I just wanted to kind of spread a little information about Yokananda because uh, he's, she, he is, re- he is remarkable. Um, he is without a, he is, he's remarkable in his own way and this is why I really attach myself to a lot of the foundation of you know of my own beliefs with uh, him. Now, um, now that we're now that we're kind of getting towards the end of the episode here, um, this has kind of been a this really just kind of been an episode about uh, all paths lead to the source. I tried to start out with talking with that a bunch, did some lib- bibliomancy with uh, with some books, different books, different traditions, and uh, then we closed with some uh, thoughts on Paramahansa Yogananda, which was a, definitely a universalist, if not a Vedantic person, a dentist, but he was definitely a Universalist and a, a Kriya Yogi. Um, now, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, you know, like I said, just contact me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. If you want to look up my YouTube channel and you really haven't heard my YouTube channel and this is the first time you've ever heard of me, uh, just type in Hunter Sal- hunter Salazar on uh, on YouTube and I should be the first result. Um, Well, I can say I'm definitely the first result. And uh, feel free to uh, watch my videos, contact me, or uh, just ask for advice or give me some yourself. Whatever you might feel as far as our interaction goes. Thank you very much for listening to this, uh, this episode on the Spirituality and Magic podcast. And I hope to hear from all of you that are listening right now in the future.